This is the England Rugby Game Developers Podcast. The Game Developers Podcast Series is here to support the England Rugby Developer Workforce with our training course delivery to referees, coaches and volunteers. I'm David Fraser, Training and Workforce Development Manager at England Rugby. This is the first of two episodes of the Game Developers Podcast where I talk to Phil Kearns, National Coach Development Manager at England Rugby. And in this episode, we discuss the interconnected components model, the game zone skill zone concept, and how we can better help coaches understand and apply them to their coaching. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, the Game Developers podcast series is here to support the England Rugby Developer Workforce with our training course delivery to referees, coaches and volunteers. In this series, we'll have in-depth discussions about topics related to our training courses that we hope in turn will have a positive impact on your tutoring. I'm David Fraser, Training and Workforce Development Manager at England Rugby. Phil Kearns is the National Coach Development Manager at England Rugby, responsible for developing the content that is used in the training of coaches at all levels of the game in England. It's great that Phil has joined us today, and in this episode, we're going to focus the conversation on two specific elements of the England Rugby Coaching Award. First is the interconnected components model, what it is and how we communicate what it means. Then we'll talk about the game zone, skill zone model and how we help coaches understand it in the context of their session design. Phil, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Welcome, everyone. So, Phil, we'll kick off with the interconnected components. Can you explain what they are and why we've designed this model? Yeah, um, I think going back to it's, it's been a long time in, in development. This is something that was in development for, for a long period of time within the union. And the basis around it was understanding what underpinned player performance and how what players required to be able to play the game. A lot of sports would use, as we did previously, the, the four-corner model of uh, technical, tactical, mental, physical. Uh, and whilst we, we recognise that model and that model has strong benefits, one of the things we, we looked at was that there was no interaction often within the game and what the game looked like that the players were playing. So when we looked at designing this, and this was, as I say, built from people from the performance department right the way through the organisation, sat in a room looking at how we would do this. Uh, we One of the things we centred on was putting the game in the middle. So what the game was in the centre of what we did, because that's ultimately where we wanted the players to perform. And then what we did was we looked at how those sort of components that built what the player could do within the game sort of fitted in around that. And what we came to was that often... Things would, when you put things into boxes, and I'll reference the model slightly because I know it's in boxes when we look at it. But when we look, when we put things in boxes, sometimes like the four corner model, things are often done in isolation. So people will work on a physical element of the game or a mental element of the game, a technical or a tactical. But actually, when we when we underpin this and looked at it, we looked at that everything was was interlinked. So when you were working on physical, you were also working on something that might be mental and or, or technical or tactical within that. So using the words interconnected was really really important now one of the things with the model is because it's a 2d model and, and how it looks sometimes i think it can get lost a little bit around that interconnectedness if that's a, if that's a word um around how those interlink but if we went if we go around the model in terms of what that looks like the game being at the center is what do the players require to play the game 
and what is the tactical problem that the game is telling them. Now, that could be the game they play on a weekend or over midweek, depending on when they play. Or it could be a game that you're playing within training to create a tactical problem and then develop some skills around that for players to be able to solve um, and what that looks like. So if we went around that model, in terms of, we'd probably always start with the actions and, and what they are. So they are the skills needed to play the game. So what do the players require? What are the, the, the core skills, I would say, that the, the players require to play the game? The game readiness is more around other players had experience and prepared, sort of preparedness, ready to be able to play the, the, game, the demands of the game that's in the centre. Behaviours, do the players sort of display and can we develop the behaviours that are required to play the game, uh, both from a player welfare point of view, from a, a respect and core values point of view as well, as well as an emotional regulation for well-being for the player themselves. And, fit, and uh, game fitness in terms of do the players have the physical literacy as well as the aerobic fitness to be able to play the game as well. That's how we would see that model. Why do we use the term actions and not skills? Actions really are because it was born from what what that, we often talked about technique, Dave, to be honest. So we, we often talked about what is correct technique. And when we often um, look at, technique it was following a, a kind of a manual of this is the key components you need to be able to perform a technique so every player doing everything the same way um as we all know players are very individual and what works for one player doesn't always work for another player so by changing the word to to actions it was more and and yeah we could call them skills i guess but i think with skills it becomes more more open where action is the actual the actual thing that they're doing it's an action it's a it's an action they're performing um and the action can lead to becoming a skill so actually if you perform an action i can perform an action of a pass but i can then develop that to be a skill by performing that under pressure so the actions is where, is where we went with that with that model and what we tried to do with actions is say there are many different ways a pass for example could be made but if you're always, and we, we would have some key principles around that, definitely. You know, we might want our hands up early. You know, some people would want an early catch, but we also know that sometimes it might be beneficial to let the ball come across your body and catch it later to beat a defender or deceive a defender. So there's not always a one-size-fits-all model. So what we're trying to do here is what are the key sort of core principles that we would look at? So it might be hands up, it might be eyes on target, it might be follow through with your arms best you can, but sometimes they're not always there. But if the pass is successful and the player is reading the situation and adapting to what's what's in front of them, it it allows us as coaches and players as individuals to to be more unique and and to be able to get those things across rather than being making sure we've got, for example, a high elbow or the ball is in a sort of a, exactly the same place above the waistband um, because all contexts are different. Yeah, great. As, as you've mentioned, catch pass. Can you try and kind of bring the model to life by describing it in the context of that catch-pass action? Yeah, definitely. So if you look at um, the action of catch and uh, of catch and pass, so there will be di different types of catch and pass first and foremost. Now, I think the as the game evolves and as the game becomes more exciting, you know, TV, commentary, etc., you know, we get into the words of offloads, etc. I think it's important to remember offload is a pass as well. It's a form of a pass. Um, so it's not it's we're not coaching something different. So the action is is the pass or the, the catch and pass. So it, it there would be some things around we look as we spoke about earlier. 
looking to receive the ball is something that's pretty important because if you're not looking to receive the ball, you're unlikely to catch it. So that's kind of a key principle we'd want to coach and we'd want to look at. We'd probably encourage things like hands up to receive, but again, as, as linked, you know, what that looks like in what context, where they are, might might vary. But that the action would be around the different types of pass and the range of passes. So what what passes would we need for the players to be able to play within the game? So, um, and I know we'll we'll talk, probably talk about this later, but you know, with the new tackle height laws that have come in this year there may be opportunity to develop different types of passes because the defender is slightly low, might be slightly lower coming into contact. So that might give us an opportunity to explore different actions within the pass. So the, the action is the pass, is the type of pass and, and what related to the context. Um, if we went to, to game readiness around that, it would be, one, ensuring that the players have got experience of, like we've talked about, practising the action. So having repetition of practising the action of, of and building confidence within that, but also practicing the action in game-like situations, so they're prepared to f for the what they may face within the game within that pass. So they'll be prepared for defenders to be coming to them from different angles at different speeds, different numbers, um, what the size of the pitch is, what the what the passing range might be. So how can the players make short passes? Can they make long passes? So there's some opportunity for the players to experience that that readiness around catch and pass in a context of the, the thing that they will experience within the game, as well as being able to perform the action. We go to game fitness, that might look like things like hand-eye coordination. So object control would be, would be key within that. Balance. So can the player catch on the wrong foot, for example, with the, with the um, pass off the outside foot leading forward, for example. So can we develop things like balance, core stability, um, around that catch and pass, so they've got good core, so they can do that under pressure. You know, if the defender's coming in, etc. So we'd be looking at, at things like that. Can they accelerate and decelerate around catch and pass as well? So what does that look like? Being able to do that on the move. So game fitness would would fit into those, and their behaviours would be a lot around one understanding self, so confidence to be able to feel they can make a pass within certain different contexts or so under pressure. Outside what they were, so that decision making element. There'd be also be a bit we would talk about around behaviours around team first and how they how they operate with team members. So to give you an example of that, if a player is going towards the touchline and there's a player outside them and they just pass the ball onto that player so they can uh, and then that player gets tackled into touch, is that the right behaviours we want to instill within our players to to put that onto somebody else's problem? <laughs> Yeah. People would often talk about don't make passes going backwards, for example, to put other people in trouble. So what are the behaviours that we want to instill? And that might be individual to you and your team around how you want to play. But that sort of team first mentality, is it the right decision to pass? Is, am I put passing to someone because I think it's the right decision to go forward? Am I not passing because I think I'm going to score a try and actually I should have passed? Those type of things we can develop behaviours around decision making and what that looks like and how we want to play the game. So it's a great framework to consider if you're a coach when you're planning what your players need and how you're going to progress your players and tying it into all of those different areas into the context of the game for me this model is a player development model it's a it's a model to support player developments and should be something that we use to help us like you say plan our sessions to ensure that we're meeting all the requirements needed for the player I think what this also helped us as a coach is it can help you fault correct as well. 
So if, if a player is starting to to have an issue or, or struggling with a certain element of, of the action or they can catch and pass, but they struggle under pressure, for example, it can allow you to break things down a little bit, recognising that they are still all connected, but there might be a spotlight or a focus on one area. So it might be we really, really need to build um, physical literacy around uh, move, movement while catch and pass. So that, that might be the... It's still built around behaviours, around the confidence level, opportunity to the game readiness, opportunity to practice in that situation. But the spotlight then becomes on that because that's the area we feel we need to work on. So it can help us as coaches sort of break down the action and then look at what we might need to put more emphasis on as a coach to be able to support the player. If I put my tutoring hat on, I'm on a course we talk about the model at the start of the day on the England Rugby Coaching Award. I'm thinking about how we might help coaches understand it more and bring it to life during that day. As they're coaching, as we give them feedback, we can ask them to think, you know, why was, um, why did that coach make that mistake? Which area of the model would you apply to try and remedy that mistake in your coaching going forward? Yeah, but if we started to see some repeated things that a player is struggling to do, how do we put a spotlight on that and break it down? Okay, it looks like it could be this. Um, We're going to put a spotlight on that area. We recognise all the other bits are interconnected with it, but that's the area we're going to go after a little bit here because we feel that's going to support the player the best way it can. That's great. Thanks. I think it leads us really well into the game zone, skill zone model that we reference in our coach development materials. Uh, could you explain what we mean by a game zone and a skill zone? Yeah. So for me, um, we again, this is a model that we we utilise around. We feel as a national governing body, we have to give a framework to, to coaches to be able to deliver sessions. That's part of our job uh, and part of our role as a national governing body. Um, for many ta- for many years, we've gone with the whole part whole model, um, which a lot of sports still use. Um, and again, a perfectly fine model for for what for what for what it does and what it achieves. What we look, started to look at is how, with rugby being a sport, especially you know we see this even more now with the growth of the women and girls game. Uh, players coming with such different levels of experience and uh, the requirement to be more differentiational within our sessions. So what we looked at was does whole part whole meet that model and and the way it was structured it kind of didn't because everyone sort of did the same thing and yes you could differentiate to a point but it didn't allow it didn't we didn't feel it give the freedom or the allowance to, to be able to do that for coaches. The beauty of game zone skills is it, it it is quite simple <laughs> it is two things um, we would describe a game zone as as something that players exploring and solving tactical or technical problems. Uh, through actions, movements, or, or behaviours. That's how we would describe what a skill zone is. Um, and, and what that is, is like we've talked about with the interconnecting point, it's it's using that game in the centre. It's using the game to create tactical problems for players to explore and solve. Um, now, when we create a tactical problem, often that would might lead to a technical uh, element being focused on. So it might be catch and pass, like we've just been talking about, Dave. It might be defensively. We're looking at that. So it, the te- the tactical problem often brings out technical elements that you that you're trying to behave, or it might be like we've said, a movement to or behaviour. So the game zone is about creating opportunities for players to play games where they're making decisions. There's an attack and a defence. There's some sort of 
um, scoring system uh, that would allow the players to to succeed to have some success or see what success looks like, um, and opportunity for to make mistakes and to fail, I guess, within that as well. Um, so the game zone is is purely around creating experiences for players to face different elements, and it might be that it relates directly to the game. It might be that we we're trying to overemphasize an aspect of the game. So often things like finding space in backfield, we may come up with different problems that we or different opportunities for players to to see space in backfield um, through a game zone that's not the actual game. So we might change the rules and, and manipulate that to support the players. So the game zone is really, really important that players have got that opportunity to not just practice something individually or, or with a small group, but actually look at what that looks like in a moving dynamic environment such as a game. And then when we think about a skill zone, what are we look how would you describe what a skill zone is and what are we looking at as the features of a skill zone? Yeah, so a skill zone we would define it as something that you could use to introduce, develop or stretch uh, a player. So introduce a new skill, so it might be something or a new action, it might be something that they're not they've never done before. Uh so, you know, again, if we go back to the interconnected components model, um, the age grade game is really good at that in terms of supporting the game change in the centre. So every every year, you know, the game under nines, what the game looks like in centre is very different to what it looks like under twelves. Um, so the different elements come in. So as them elements come in, you may use, introduce those within a skill zone environment to introduce it rather than a chaotic game because it might help build the player's confidence. So it gets you it can be used to introduce something, develop or refine, I guess. So develop it to help them get better or refine the action that they're, that they're doing, or stretch them. So can we can we support them to really challenge them because they're really good at this? So what's going to make them even better? Um, and again, it, I suppose what Skill Zone does is it flips that piece around around from whole part whole from what might be seen as a more negative lens of we going into the development area, this is something you need to work on, to it might switch it to go, you're going into a skill zone to get better at something or to get better at something that you're already good at. So we're really yeah. trying to make it a more positive um, experience to go into the skill zone. It's not it's not a negative, it's a positive that you're going in there and this it's a great opportunity for you. So really selling that this is positive spin on going working on something this is a this is an opportunity to really get into focusing on something spotlight something and, and work on it and i think that's that's where one of the key things for me would be around that is the changing language and the changing emphasis of what a skills on is compared to a, a a sort of a development area or a breakout practice that players would assume or a drill you know that yeah. term is, is yeah kind of and, and a skills on might be a drill, if, if in that instance, it might be repetition of an action. I think, I think coaches and the, with the, you know, there's so much out there now, whether that's from, from us or from other providers in terms of, you know, the, the internet, et cetera. There's so much out there at the moment where coaches are getting more skillful at developing practices that aren't just repetition, 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 and, and you know, getting more ex examples of how we can make a, make something like a drill more, more relevant to the game because we, we have to recognise that when we practice something in repetition that hasn't got a defender or it's a different skill to the one that's being used in the game. So that's not to say it's wrong and it's not to say it can build, can't build confidence. It can. But 
it's it's understanding as a coach why we're using that and what what opportunities it creates for us, but what it's not doing for us as well. So you're not in a uh, we're not passing the ball on the line and expecting players to be able to do that in front of a defence by doing that practice. Yeah. So that kind of belief uh, has emerged that says game zone good, skill zone bad, or or game good, drill bad. Um, you've kind of answered what the benefits are or told us what the benefits are of good skill zones. How would we want uh, developers on courses dealing with this challenge if people are saying, oh, I only coach through games or I only coach through drills? What sort of uh, answers can we give to to kind of change a coach's thinking on that? Yeah, I think there's, there's many, many answers to that, I think. But I think more importantly is if you only ever coach through a game, you have to be very, very skillful as a coach to to be able to meet the demands of every player because we, we've just talked about differentiation. So one of the things that a game, when a game is going on is a lot of coaches, certainly in the community game, would, would not, uh, it's very difficult for you to be able to know how many touches a player's had, for example, on the ball within a game. So while they're getting the same amount of opportunity as other players because of the maybe if the position they play, you'll see players going to stand out on the wing, for example, who, who might lack confidence or... So those things, so making sure it's very hard to make sure that you, you, everyone's getting the same amount of opportunity uh, to do that. Um, with with a game as well, like we say, it's if you it's really you have to be really skillful to be able to meet the demands of everyone within that game. Uh, so as we talked about the skill zone, the game that you're playing, the game zone might not be ready for the majority of players to move that onto an, a new rule or a new. Um, tactical problem within the game because players might not be able to might not all be there you may have three or four players who are so what if you if you've always operating with the sort of the middle context which is what tends to happen in in a, in a mass practice is you, you've got the top end of the players who are who are exceeding they're finding it comfortable they're getting a little bit bored you've got players that potentially at the bottom who are who are struggling with the practice and what we tend to do is we kind of sit somewhere in the middle we pitch the practice somewhere in the middle um, and I think if what if you're always in that space, you're never helping those other players stretch. You're never stretching the, but you're never helping supporting the other players to come up, um, who who are struggling with a potential action or solving that tactical problem. So it's it's understanding that the players need everything, and it goes back to that interconnected components model: is how we're building everything that they need, and can we do it all in the game? Now, if you can, then so be it. My question back would be: How is that happening for everyone within that session? And if the coach can reflect and asking themselves that question, I think is really, really important. I think on the flip side of that, if you go to the skill zone piece, if we're only ever operating in in context of of isolated practice or drill or or, or skills, um, I think again you're not creating opportunities and pictures that players would see within a game. So that's why skill zone is really important in terms of making sure that you're not just doing a a pass along the line practice it's it's got some relevance to the game and how you can develop that skill zone to look different again it's about giving people opportunity to experience the things they're going to experience in the game and just you know often you will hear coaches talk about they're really good at this in training but they they struggle to do it in a game and that to me that would reflect back okay well what does my training look like that it's not transferring from here to from from my from training field to the game, 
and often that will be about the practice that they're doing. So I think making sure you've got a blend is really, really important. Um, I think it's understanding that we need to support players to have different experiences, working with different players, working with um, different teammates, working in different spaces, different um, creating different contexts. What a skill zone can do really well that you might not be able to do in a game zone is it can also do some position-specific stuff that you might not be able to create necessarily in a chaotic game um, without being more deliberate. So it gives you opportunity to to do some of those things. Um, and I think, again, just going back to some of the some of the the game readiness piece and and uh, fitness, physical game fitness piece within um, within the sketch components. This skill zones allow you to to prepare players better as well as well as the game zone. So that having that blend really helps you prepare players to ensure they're in a state of readiness to be able to go and play the game. Yeah, thanks for that, Phil. There's also that point that we see quite often on courses when we ask a coach to coach through a game that they set the game up but they don't coach in the game it's just an activity uh, so that's uh, I think you started to touch on that but that's a really important point for us as uh, tutors on courses to remind coaches that they still there is still coaching to be done during the game 100% and that's that was one of the probably the things we first saw when games on skills on came in game would take place and then all the coaching was done in a skill zone. It was like right now because it, it was easier to feed back um, because it was it was more more repetition of an action. It, it became quicker to feed back, etc. Within that, with it all offer feedback and that shift. As I say, it, it is it is a skill. Coaching is a skill. It's a craft. It's it's a skill. And we we've got to remember that. And uh, coaching within the game it, is is skillful. So again, re-emphasizing to the coaches. What is it you're going after in this game? So you, you're delivering this on course. What is your purpose? And be really, really re-emphasise that to the coach before they they start that practice. So what is the purpose here that you're, you're coaching within the game zone? And keep reminding them if you need to throughout that delivery that that's their purpose. So they uh, you remember you're coaching this type thing. Just keep going back to reinforcing just a prompt to as we would do players. It's the same. It's the same thing within a game. Just how how can we support them to recognise? this is the thing that you're going after because in the game, there's so much happening. As we all know, we get so distracted with other things and you want to fix everything. So making sure that we are coaching on that purpose. Yeah. Thanks for that, Phil. That's been a really great um, explanation of those two sort of models. And I think more importantly, what I've seen from it is how they overlay and how we need to help our coaches on courses understand you know, like when they're coaching uh, through a game zone, uh, how to identify um, what's going well, how to identify what's going wrong, but then use the interconnected components model in their mind to remedy and to stretch as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's been terrific, Phil. Thanks very much for, for joining us. It's really been a, a useful session, and I'm sure um, uh, all the listeners will will take something away that will help them on their courses. And thank you for listening to the England Rugby Game Developers Podcast. Cheers.